Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Y'all have heard that before, I assume, right? Uh, We're gonna gonna spend, uh, from now until Christmas, um, talking about the Lord's Prayer. And uh, this has been uh, sort of an experiment uh, for me personally. So I'm gonna invite you into this. Um, As we look at this perhaps a little bit differently uh, than we have, I want for you to consider, and we're gonna consider this together, is what is it that you think about prayer? Like, what do you think about? What do you do? How do you do it? Like, how do you do it? Most all of us would suggest or acknowledge that we pray at some point in time. Maybe it's in your car. Do you close your eyes? Do you fold your hands? Do you get on your knees? Do you use recited prayers like this one? Um, How is it or what is it you think about prayer? Most all of us would say or assume that we think prayer is important, that we believe in it. And the question is, you know, how is it that we are going to do it. How are you gonna do it? How am I gonna do it? How are we going to do it together? Um, All of us probably have experiences or stories where we've prayed for things and God hasn't done things the way that we thought that he should or in the way that we asked. All of us have experienced things where God did something that was dramatically or allowed something that was dramatically opposed to what it was that we had asked for. And we see all kinds of promises in the Bible and all kinds of things Uh, that point us or give us a sense of confidence in our prayers. Um, But I want for us to explore what it looks like um, to actually pray. And so what I'm gonna have you do um, over the next uh, few weeks together is all of us are going to uh, get a card and the card has the Lord's Prayer on it and you're gonna learn how or you're gonna memorize it, right? We're gonna, I'm gonna ask everybody to memorize it. Uh, how many of you guys already have it memorized? Anybody think? All right, perfect. So those of you who don't think you can memorize, and people, adults especially, they do this all the time. I can't memorize stuff. And I just go, just a small town girl living in a lonely world. She did what? She took the midnight train going anywhere, right? If I said stop, collaborate, and listen, you know exactly what's about to happen, that ice is back with his brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly, pulling like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Light up a stage and I glow to the extreme. I know the whole thing. Yeah, who knew that I could do that, right? So there's a lot of stuff in your head already. 
And if we're really honest, there's a lot of terrible stuff that we memorized as kids that's still stuck in there. And so what, what we're gonna do is we're gonna put some other things in there, specifically a model prayer that Jesus gave us in order to understand or to begin to understand what it looks like to pray, to pray. Um, a couple of assumptions as we begin. I think that most of us, the, the definition or the way most of us think about prayer is that we subtly, sort of subtly believe that prayer is the way that we get God to do something uh, for us, that we get, you know, it's a way of getting God to get things done. We want him to do something for us and prayer is sort of the way to tap into that or to get him to do that. And then I add this line when I think about it, that we subtly believe that prayer is a way of getting God to get things done once we realize we are unable to do it. Once you and I realize that, oh, we couldn't pull this off in our own strength, now we'll pray. You, we've heard people, I've done all that I can and then I couldn't do it, so now I pray. And it's not, it's not a bad thing, it's not a wrong thing. I don't want us to talk about right and wrong or good and bad. I think it's a vision thing. I think it's just most of us have just not sort of developed or grabbed a vision of what prayer looks like or we haven't thought about it in a really long time. It was actually interesting that when I was, um, well, before I do, I'm gonna give you two assumptions that I have. And we try to do this at the beginning of every series just so you'll know kind of where I'm coming from. Um, stats tell us that the majority of Americans pray. And because you're in church this morning, I at least believe that you have some idea of God or some way of God. So I'm gonna assume that you would agree with this, that everybody prays. At some point in time, everybody throws up a prayer. It's interesting because the same number of people, I think it's like 97% acknowledge they pray. And of those 90%, like, um, there's a percentage that's less that don't believe in God. So I'm not sure who they're praying to, but you're just throwing something up to somebody. There's some kind of idea that everybody prays. And then if I were to sort of add this to it, I would assume that most of you um, don't think you pray enough, right? If we were to scale this, um, we'd say everybody prays and nobody prays enough. And this is sort of how we think about our prayer lives. We just scale ourselves as I don't do it right or I don't do it enough or if I did it more, then perhaps God would be doing more for you. We have all these ideas of prayer. I want us to put some vision on this and some exercise. I want us to memorize this. And then I'm gonna ask you to pray this every day, uh, at least five days out of the week. Can y'all do that? Memorize it and just say this five days a week. Now, here's the beauty in that. Um, we're gonna do it every Sunday. So if you just come, you'll only have to do it four. You'll have one kind of built in. Isn't that good? You'll already be like, yes, I already got one. You can even count today. We're gonna do it in just a minute. And you can count it. Um, but the Lord's Prayer is really interesting. And in how I got to be where it is and what it is, it's recorded twice in the scriptures. Once it's recorded in Luke chapter 11 in response to a direct question that Jesus got. Remember what we talked about Jesus? Jesus was asked in the scriptures 183 direct questions. He gave three direct answers. One of them was when his disciples said, hey Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? He says, of course I can. So there, Jesus is out praying, and this is, this is seen throughout the scriptures. Jesus would often withdraw to a place by himself, and he would pray, and they would see him. They saw him in a garden. They, they would see him uh, you know, off in the, uh, the groves or up on a mountain. They'd say he would withdraw away from the crowds or away from any distractions, he would pray. And so one time in Luke chapter 11, it's recorded for us, he comes down from where he was praying. They said, hey, we noticed you were away at this certain place praying. Can you teach us how to pray? And so he said to them, when you pray, say this, and he gives them this model prayer. And then he goes on and he talks about 
a friend who comes to another friend's house late at night and his kids are already in bed, he knocks on the door. And he keeps knocking until the guy gets up and comes and lets him in because he needs to give some bread. And he tells this story about persistence and staying after it and seeking and knocking. And so in Luke chapter 11, it's a shorter version of the prayer that most of us are familiar with. In Luke chapter, or Matthew chapter six, this prayer is taught as a part of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. That's what we're gonna look today. If you have your Bibles, you can look in Matthew chapter six, and it records this, and this is sort of the longer version that most of us are familiar with, so we'll practice it together, okay? You ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, that's good. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, and forgive us our, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That was really, really good. Y'all did a great job. So here's what happens, right? We did, we've been doing this our staff and it's like, um, you know, forgive us our debts or debtors or trespasses. And it's like, forgive us our, what are we saying here? Like, no, how many of you guys are like trespass people? Any trespass people in the room? All right, any debtors in the room? We got some, oh, we got some debtors. Okay, we got some debtors. Um, for our time, we're gonna be trespassers, okay? That's what we're gonna do uh, for the next six weeks. We're gonna relearn this for some of you um, as trespasses. It's really interesting because I was looking at this, that version with trespasses is not in the Bible. So all the debtor people are like, that's why we do it because our version's more biblical than yours. It's not in the Bible. Did y'all know this? I was actually working on this. I didn't realize this because I was looking for the translation where it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I'm like, it's not in any modern English version of the Bible. It says debt or debtor, or it says sin or sin, uh, sin or, uh, for the, those who sin against us. And I'm like, okay, we gotta, we gotta figure this out. And so the version that most of us are familiar with, and also if you look carefully in your Bibles, you'll notice that it stops after it says, I'll lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There is no for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. You'll notice that Luke's version is slightly different than Matthew's version. The version we use today is slightly different from both of those. So what gives? I think what's beautiful about this is it invites us into something. What you see is a part of how this, this thing that Jesus taught became a central part of how the earliest followers of Jesus began to pray and to learn to pray and to present themselves to him. And we're gonna kind of join in that today. It's very different than the way most of us think. It's very different the way most of us think. Um, most of us are fast and we're quick and we do not do rituals very well. Most of us have very little ritual in our lives. You might eat dinner and you might do some things in there, but, but what happens, those things very quickly get uh, dissolved by the pace of our lives. And so what I want for us to do is to enter back into a really ancient way for six weeks. And then you can forget about it if it hasn't been any good for six weeks. For six weeks to enter into a really ancient way to help reset our pace, to help us think about this a little bit differently. What a lot of people have thought is that memorize, they've memorized the prayer and then when they gather in some kind of corporate setting, they recite the prayer and they think because they've memorized it and recited it that they have actually prayed it. What I want for us to do is to recognize there's a giant gap between memorizing it and reciting it that where we actually learn how to pray it. That's what we wanna to do together. I have this book in my office and I wanna be really mindful, but I wanna be really clear about this. Um, I love what I get to do. 
Um, I get to read and study. I am not by nature a good reader or a fast reader. I'm not by nature a good writer or a fast writer. What I have learned in my own personal world is that thinking is kind of important. Would y'all agree? I've also learned that most people have no time in their lives to think. So we spend our entire lives reacting to what happens around us. Most people really don't have coherent definitions of most of the most important things that we give our lives to. Most people don't have important uh, definitions around uh, the value or what they believe about money or what they believe about education, what they believe about vocation, what they believe about sex, what they believe about marriage, what they believe about all kinds of things. We just sort of have done what has been imposed on us and we wonder why this isn't working the way we thought because we've never really thought about it any deeper than what someone told us. So I, I discipline myself to think, not because I'm smart, but it's quite the opposite. My brain is crazy. It runs in 10,000 different directions. I have to do things deliberately to slow it down. It's why I keep a journal. Any surprises about that? And I tell people all the time, writing stuff down, slowing your brain down. One of the things a guy gave me, a friend of mine gave me this many, many years ago, probably 11, 12 years ago, and it's a collection of essays and poems by Ralph Waldo Emerson. You see this on my desk and you think that I'm smart. I never read Ralph Waldo Emerson before. Do you know why? because I didn't think I was smart enough to read Ralph Waldo Emerson. But I began to read it because a friend gave me this. And here's the, here's the note that he gave to me. It says this. It says, Mike, lots of good reading in here, but start on page 257, which I did, which I like, because at 257, you're already like halfway finished. You're like, oh, I'm making good progress. <laughs> but start on page 257. He says, the writing has a pace of the 19th century. And once you fall into stride, you'll love it. You know what that meant? That means the first 14 times I tried to read this, it didn't make sense. That means the first few times I tried to open up a page and re read it, I had to reread it five and six and seven times. Sometimes I had to write down the sentences in my journal because there's a, there's a, there's a pace that my mind is used to. There's a way in which I'm prone to receive information and process information, and this is very different than that, and I had to get in stride with it. I had to learn to get in stride, learn to see it and slow things down so I could see it a little bit different. It's not about being smart, it's about pacing. The last sentence he says, return it at your leisure. <laughs> He's gonna see this and go, that's where my book went. I've had it 15 years. It's my leisure, right? He said, at my leisure, still reading it. But I do things like this to disrupt the social media, Twitter feed, Instagram feed pace at which information typically comes to us. I use books for that reason. I print things off for that reason so I can see them and process them with a pen. And I wanna invite you to journey in your prayer life in sort of the same way. Um, it's interesting that this idea of how we got the Book of Common, how we got the current version of the Lord's Prayer that most of us are familiar with is from the Book of Common Prayer. It's not in any of the English translations. And the, the actual uh, benediction at the end, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, was added on early, very early. But what it means is that the early followers of Jesus were actually using this in their communities. In fact, we have ancient writings that, that coincide with some of the time when Paul was writing and the gospels were written, where the instructions were given to the early followers of Jesus to pray this prayer, to pray this model prayer, to pray um, these instructions 
uh, or this, this prayer that Jesus had given them. And there's some context around this. And this is what I want for us to see. So we read this, how Jesus gets into this in Matthew chapter six, uh, verses five through nine. Before we read, fun fact. The reason that trespasses is in the uh, book of Homer, this is free, this doesn't, this is, has nothing to do with what we're gonna do, but it's just a fun fact. Trespasses in the Book of Common Prayer, it was actually written into some of the early English translations written by a guy or translated by a guy named William Tyndall, done in like 1520s, 1526. And he published a version of his English translation in 1526, right? So this is the time of the Reformation. This is all that's happening in Germany and all into Europe. And so he writes this out and he uses the word trespasses among other different words that he chose for these translations. The Holy Roman Empire, the powers that be did not like it. So you know what they did? They had a thoughtful discussion with him, accused him of heresy and burned him at the stake. And trespasses got eliminated from all the English versions. How's that for uh, censorship, right? So it, it emerges back in the Book of Common Prayer, written a couple of decades later, and has been used, the Book of Common Prayer is a book of prayers, uh, including the Lord's Prayer, used in many mainline churches uh, and certainly um, has been a part of the church culture for, throughout the world. So that's uh, free. So here's how Jesus um, taught this. And I want us to go back in as a, as a first century kind of Jewish person in that day hearing Jesus teach this. And so Jesus has just gone through a whole bunch of stuff. The law says this, but I say this. And he's doing all this kind of um, bringing some authority to his own voice. And then in chapter six, verse nine, he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. So their motive of this righteous act, of this pious act, is what? To impress other people. Truly, I tell you, they've, re they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees this activity of yours in the secret places will respond to you will reward you is the, the way this is thought of. In verse seven, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Now, most of us read this, and when it talks about someone praying on a street corner or people babbling, we have an overlay, like the guy on the street corner is the guy with the bullhorn and the cardboard sign telling everybody to repent or they're going to hell. And that's kind of how we think of this sort of pious, better than thou activity. But this would have been very cultural in that day and age that the Jewish culture was sort of an, a who's who of religious people. So there was always this sort of, the people in power were very religious. They were always sort of putting their religion out front. They were, their prayers were often elaborate and their, they were really um, uh, sort of marked by their own uh, behavior and their knowledge of the law and their adherence to it. Their dress would even have this. The length of these tassels that they wore would demonstrate how righteous they were or how much they'd been promoted within this sort of power structure there. And then on the other hand, you had the pagans or the Greeks or the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And what they're doing is they have a lot of different gods that they're always having to appease. They're like, all right, God, I promise I'll never do this and don't do this. And God, if you're there, if you can hear me, you know, I know I did this last week and I said this bad word and I smoked this there, but if you could just overlook that, then, then I'll, you know, you're trying to bargain with God to make sure he hears you. And they're basically like, you're trying to, one of you're trying to prove that you're already worthy and the, uh, that you're, to demonstrate how worthy you are to God. And the other, you're trying to, you know, prove to him that you're serious. You're kind of kissing up to him. And if you ever had someone try to kiss up to you, try to suck up to you, they just talk on and on and on. It's like, all right, enough. You don't have to do it anymore. Just tell me what you want me to know. 
You don't tell me how beautiful I am or how cool I am. Just tell me what you want me to, to know. You don't have to do that with me. And this is exactly what Jesus was saying. There's two categories. And he says, don't be like them. And I love this in verse eight. He says, don't be like them. Why? For your father in heaven knows what you need before you even ask him. Now, I don't know if anybody like reads this the way I do, but think about it. this. This is what makes us a good American right here because if you're a good American, you just had a question. Your father already knows what you need before you even ask. So what's the question that good Americans ask? Why would we bother to ask? If he already knows, if he already knows, why bother to ask, right? Just let's, let's just bypass the process and go ahead and do what, what we're gonna do. Like it's an efficiency thing. And what Jesus actually says is, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask. This then is how you should pray. He actually, the reason that we think we shouldn't pray is precisely the reason Jesus thinks we should. Are you following me? He's like, your father already knows, so now I want you to pray. Our father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, our debtors, or debts, as we forgive those who do the same thing against us. I think I read someone wrote this as a kindergartner. He said, forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. It's probably a really good <laughs> lesson. Lead us not into temptation. We're gonna talk about all this. I don't wanna put too much in your brains yet, but I want for you to start to memorize this. I want for you to pray this daily. When, when Jesus told them, pray then like this, he meant something very specifically to those who were in the first century hearing this. Every Jewish person who was listening to him had a prayer life, an activity of prayer. They were taught this all the way through school, through their upbringing. They were taught to pray in the morning and they were taught to pray in the evening. There was a posture to prayer. And there was a particular prayer that they prayed in this particular day and age. It was known as the Shema. So if you think about this, if you've seen like Quantico or any of these shows where there's like some religious character and they go and they, they sort of take time outside of everybody else and they, they do a, a, a prayer where they have like a mat and some garb and they get on their knees and they pray a particular thing. If you've ever seen people who practice maybe the Islam, uh, Muslim or Islam faith and they, there's this posture to it. This is precisely how the ancient Jews would have understood this. If you read throughout the prophets and the Old Covenant, and the Old Testament, your Bibles, it marks that a lot of these men, like Daniel, would pray in the morning, they would pray in the afternoon or at 3 p.m., and they would pray also in the evening. And oftentimes it shows that Daniel would actually pray out of his window towards Jerusalem. And they would get on their knees and they would say, they would pray the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And this is what they would pray three times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, about 3 p.m., and then in uh, the evening. And so when Jesus tells them, I want you to pray then like this, what most first century followers of Jesus did was they substituted this model prayer for the Shema. Instead of praying, Hero Lord, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, they said, Our Father who art in heaven. And they began to do that three times a day. 
So what I've been doing, and I'm not a very ritual person at all. I have some very tight disciplines, but I am not ritualistic at, at all. Um, and I've been doing this for about six weeks, three times a day. I do it in the morning. I wake up. And I do the, say the Lord's Prayer, I recite it. I do it in some very specific ways in my office. I use my pen, I use all kinds of things. Um, and I do it at nighttime. And those two prayers are actually pretty easy because when I go to bed, I lay down and sometimes I'll just recite it before I go to bed, right? The last thing I think of before I go off to sleep, you know, our, our Father who art in heaven, I'll do that the whole prayer. The three o'clock prayer is the one that's tricky because you're usually with people or you're usually in places where the last thing you wanna be doing is praying. As this is always interesting when you're in the grocery store line or you're in places where you're having, and you have to sort of stop and sometimes I don't even remove myself. I just kind of take a breath and I'm like, okay, maybe I'll pull out from a, a meeting or finish the meeting or whatever. And I go back and I try to re recenter myself and do this. And it's been really hard. Sometimes I miss, sometimes I'm, I don't. But it's been a, a discipline to sort of get this into my rhythm. And the things that you see are incredible. These last six weeks, I, what I have learned is I have known the Lord's Prayer for a long time. I don't know that I've ever really learned how to pray it. And so I'm learning how to pray. I found it to be unbelievably freeing and challenging and disrupting. And y'all know my philosophy. When I get disrupted, guess what we're gonna do? I'm gonna disrupt y'all, right? We're gonna do this together. Because think about this. You realize this is just one of the things we're gonna talk about. The Lord's prayer is plural. It's not give me my daily bread, which is what I want, it's give us our daily bread. I gotta be concerned about your daily bread, which is not on top of my priority list, just so you know. Give us. I'm obsessed with my daily bread. God, can you provide me my daily bread? Can you do this? Think about if on Saturday, right, you're driving down and you're bringing food to Mother Hubbard's cupboard or you're somewhere else where there are people and you encounter people who do not have daily bread and you say, give us our daily bread. Do you think that's not discombobulating a little bit? Forgive us our trespasses. We're gonna talk about this very detailed five weeks from now. So this is the picture. This is what I want for us to get to, to learn how to pray this. What would happen is this would, this would really sort of frame the New Testament understanding of prayer. The way followers of Jesus, they would, they would probably have some measure of ritual in their lives. And this is evidence in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. He was not a Jew by birth. He was a, an, an Italian um, Roman guard. And it mentions that he was praying continually. And at 3 p.m. he was praying. So this was a thing back then. The earliest writings reveal this. And what it kind of gave way to is it provides us a, pic a picture of how prayer was actually integrated into the lives of those who are learning to walk in the way of Jesus. And I think for us, what it does is it helps us to learn how to pursue the promised formative work of the Holy Spirit, of His Spirit, shaping us, shaping you and me into His image. And you read this in Ch Ephesians chapter six, this is the big uh, passage on the armor of God. It says this, Paul writes six, uh, chapter six, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or making requests on behalf of saints and the other people. So there's a connection to alertness and perseverance and patience in this, to know people's names. I have a list that I pray for. I write their names down. 
When people request prayers for me and from us, I write them in my journal. So there's a name. I want to, I want to be able to do this. There's an intentionality to it. Philippians chapter four, Paul says it like this. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Now some of you could stop right there, right? That's enough for you. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. About anything. This is probably the single most driving emotion in our culture. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but what? In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So there's a, there's a calling for us to bring this to God, to avail ourselves, to request, to, to ask him, to tell him. And then Paul would sum it up like this, three words, uh, probably the second shortest verse in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it simply says, pray without ceasing. And the question is, what does this really mean to pray without ceasing? I'm pretty serious about definitions. So when I learned this years ago, I don't believe that it's just, I'm gonna pray in my car when I'm driving. Although I know some of you pray in your car while driving, I've seen you because you ain't paying attention to anything else. So there is, I'm just kidding, there is a way for us to, to, to pray without ceasing. And that's where we wanna get to. And that's where I wanna get to. And so the way I define this, what God invites us into is what I've learned and what I use in my own sort of personal life is the idea of constant communion. It's common union is the literal sort of compression of that word to continually be connected with the things that bring God joy, and also to be continually be aware to things that break God's heart. To constantly be aware of those things. To discern and see and sense what God is doing in particular moments. It has to do with joining Him. To commune is to join in, to participate with. And what I've learned that I need is something to reframe me so that I become aware or so that I acknowledge God. And this is what the Lord's Prayer has done for me. Acknowledge Him. Our Father, He belongs, or I belong to Him. In heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your character, your essence is not like anything else and it's not even like things that I'm familiar with. Can you help me see you more clearly? The, the idea that we're communing with him is we're invited into something we don't readily see. We've talked a lot about this. But it also then sort of allows me to have an increased awareness of his presence and also, and I'll put this down there just so I won't forget it, of his presence, that he's with me and also his call, that there's an intention that he has. Your kingdom come here in this moment. So when we talk about continuing, most of us in our cars, we're not praying for that. And I'm not trying to in any way suggest or to diminish breath prayers. Breath prayers are important. You know what breath prayers are, right? Breath prayers are the things that you pray to keep from doing terrible things to yourself and other people. I mean, your kids do something like you're gonna go, that's it, they're done, you have to breath prayer, and now you get to survive for a little while longer. 
Breath prayers are used when you encounter a difficult circumstance or when you encounter a difficult person. You see someone coming, you're like, breath prayers, Lord, help me love this person, right? That, there's their breath, so those are important, but those are oft, oftentimes reactionary. They're not seeking this. What I've learned in my own life and what I wanna sort of inflict on all of us is the concept of a simple prayer, and I think that the Lord's Prayer is a model of a simple prayer. It's simple that you can memorize it. It's not simplistic, but it's simple. And I think of this in my own life, that simple prayers serve as a foundation for continual prayer. A lot of us want to be able to pray in our car, pray on the fly, without doing the grounding work of learning how to actually commune with him, to participate, to join him in those breath prayers, those continual prayers. And so I say it like this, that we, you and I, will only learn to pray anytime, anywhere, when you first learn to pray sometime, somewhere. You're not gonna do it on the fly. You gotta slow yourself down and find the stride, the pace of God. And it's not gonna happen in a hurry, and it's not gonna happen on the fly, and it's not gonna happen without effort. So we're gonna put in some effort together by memorizing the Lord's Prayer. My goal in this is not that we'll recite the Lord's Prayer together on Christmas Eve, although we are gonna do that. My goal is that this discipline would bring such a surprising richness to all those continual prayers and prayers in your car and prayers for your kids and prayers in line and prayers. It'll bring such a richness that you will see things that you haven't seen before. So here's your assignment for this week. Are y'all ready? So you already have to do what? Correct, which most of you already done. So we're already like, you're already ahead of the curve. Those of you who memorize it as debtors, you're gonna have to re-memorize it as trespasses. Just, or else we're gonna say the fumble thing when we get done. So what I want you to do is number one, sometime this week, so you're gonna pray, you're gonna recite the prayer daily. Uh, well, I'm gonna say, sorry, five times, but one is on Sunday, so you'll get a freebie. Five times this week. Number two, I want you to write it out at least once. With a pen on paper. Don't like copy it and paste it into a document or your notes. Some of you are like, oh, God, I, like, I figured out how to do this. Like, so Jesus said, right, if you already know, if you have to pray, why would we write it out? Write it out. I've done this. I've probably written it, I don't know how many times in my journal over the last few weeks. Because when I can't get still, I write it out. When I find myself like, oh, I gotta get through this, I just stop and I write it out. It just slows everything down. And I can guarantee you, most everybody could use three minutes where everything just slows down. I write with a felt tip marker. Do you know why? Because you can't do that fast. It bleeds all everything and you can't even read what you wrote, so you have to like, our Father. The goal is not to write it, the goal is to slow, right? You're following me. Number three is I want you to reflect on it and I want you to rewrite it. And we're gonna work on this over the, over the course of weeks. To rewrite it in your own words. If William Tyndall can change a word, so can we, right? 
just kidding. Because I want you to, I want you to see things. I want you to ask questions. When you say our Father in heaven, is the picture in your mind that he's way up there? Or if you read it in the gospel, does he, has he come near? Our Father in heaven, this, this place, the beauty in which you reside is actually available to me here. Father, can you bring that near? Like it, it starts to give you pictures and imagery of how to, how to build some foundation for all those other prayers. And then the last thing, oh, is I want you to experiment with it. So you're gonna have freedom. Read it out loud. Recite it out loud. Learn it in a different language. Get on your knees when you pray it. Hold your hands up when you pray it, when you say it. Try some things to put your body in a different position. Yesterday I went out early in the morning, caught some waves, beautiful morning. I recited the Lord's Prayer as I was paddling, snaking waves from everybody else out there. Do <laughs> you realize, oh, forgive us our trespasses. Yep, forgive me as I take this one right now. I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. But I did, I did begin to think about a lot of things. It, it, aligned, it aligned some things in me to see some things just as I was paddling and reciting this. So experiment. You know why? Because we're going to learn how to pray it. We're going to learn how to pray it. The goal, again, is not for you to be able to recite this. The goal is to be able to learn how to pray it so that it brings a sense of richness and perspective and foundation to your walk, to what you see and sense and understand about God. The point of prayer is not to bring our request to God. He already knows them before we even ask. And Jesus says, so this then is how you pray. Because when you do that, our Father in heaven, holy and revered and other are you. God, would your kingdom be seen and experienced here, right here where I'm at? May your will be done right here where I'm at, just as you intend for it to be. God, provide for us what you Desire, right? This is, this, is what we're, this is what we want to see. It's for us to align our hearts with him. I, I think what happens is your prayers will shift from being very reactionary to being very, very, very pointed and confident because he goes before us and he is with us.